You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Friends, again, uh, thank you so much for the invitation, not just to be with you this morning, but to be with you this week. The last time I was in Toowoomba uh, was 50 years ago. Uh, so it's a long time since. I did come and do the camp for you guys two years ago in 21, but that was on the Sunshine Coast, right? So I didn't actually make it to your fair town. So it's wonderful again to be here. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Praise you, Heavenly Father, that we can meet together this morning here in the building or online. And in meeting together, we can be strengthened, encouraged in our service Please, by your spirit, help us to know that we're part of something bigger. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We love to be part of something bigger. Even this last week, people left their TVs at home to join in fan zones to watch the Matildas playing their game. There's something about joining together with others that's good for our soul. We have a feeling of belonging when we join. We sense shared values. We're not just celebrating a code of football, but we're celebrating our nation. We're celebrating a common passion. We're enjoying being part of something bigger. 30,000 people last week headed to Amy Park in Melbourne to watch TV together. Isn't that extraordinary when you think about it? They could have watched it at home, but there's something attractive in doing it with other people. We're born to belong to something bigger. We yearn to be part of a movement, a story, which isn't just about me. Our culture likes praising uh, our own self-expression. We're encouraged to express what's going on inside. There's nothing wrong with that as far as it goes, but expressing yourself still doesn't have the same kind of value as feeling safe with others or feeling secure with others or feeling satisfied with others. I love reading a a commentator in the New York Times. His name is David Brooks. He writes about culture, especially in the Western world. And just a few weeks ago, he wrote a column called, Hey America, Grow Up, on August 10th. And he tries to make this very point, that expressing yourself, expressing yourself with your words or your actions, isn't enough for a healthy human life. This is what he wrote. Our culture cuts us off from moral traditions and the normal sources of meaning and identity. 
It pushes us in on ourselves. It makes us self-absorbed. It means that we crave public affirmation so we can feel good about ourselves. And so by the year about 2010, it began to be clear that we were in the middle of a mental health crisis, rising depression and suicide rates, an epidemic of hopelessness and despair amongst the young. Social media became a place where people went begging for attention, validation and affirmation, even if they found their rejection instead. The instability of the self has created an immature, an immature public culture. It's impulsive, dramatic, erratic and cruel. Maturity is understanding that you're not the centre of the universe. The world isn't a giant story about me. What a great line. The world is not a giant story about me. To be healthy as human beings and to be healthy as Christians, we need to see that we're part of something bigger. To be healthy as human beings and as Christians, we need to invest in relationships. Not just expressing yourself, because that produces narcissists. No, we don't need to learn any more to express ourselves. We need to learn how to be part of communities, to grow our attachments. We need to understand better how the Christian faith encourages us to grow our attachments. Healthy people are people who have good attachments. People who've experienced trauma are people who've been ripped apart from their closest and most trusted relationships. Healthy people have healthy attachments. Healthy people invest in relationships. To be human is to be relational. And of course, that's what the scriptures teach, right? In Genesis 1, we discover that we're made in the image of God. We as human beings have a relationship with God. We as human beings have relationships, men and women, with each other. We as human beings have been put on this earth to till it, to look after it, to have dominion on it. We have a relationship with the earth. Genesis 1 says that the world is full of relationships, a relationship with God, a relationship with each other, and a relationship with the earth. The earth is full of relationships. And in Genesis 2, we read from it this morning, we discover that Adam was alone and he needed not other animals, he needed a woman for his own health, for her own health to be expressed. It wasn't good for the man to be alone. God made him a wife bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. 
whether you're married or single, we need attachments. We need friends. Friends are the most basic form of attachment that we can have. If you're married, you still need friends within your marriage and outside your marriage. And when you're single, you still need friends. We need friends. Having friends is one of the most basic experiences of living in a world full of relationships. And the book of Proverbs reminds us again and again of the value, the importance of friends. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or in Proverbs 17.17 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We need friends who stick closer than a blood brother. We need friends who stick with us at all times, even in adversity. We need friends in the fun times and in the hard times. Of course, Christians are called to love even our enemies. But that doesn't mean we can't value and appreciate close friends who reciprocate, who encourage us as we might encourage them. We need all kinds of friends and we need energy and time to invest in them. But different cultures have different ways of thinking about friendship. I've spent a number of years living in Germany uh, the German language has different words for you. Other languages do the same. You use a certain form of address to a small number of people and you use a different form of address to others who you don't know so well. In German, in fact, uh, if you want to use a certain kind of pronoun, you go through a particular uh, ritual where you drink to each other and you deliberately decide to change your Pronouns of address. It's kind of inconceivable in our kind of culture where I have, you know, 35,000 friends on Facebook and most of them I've never met. We need friends. God made us to be relational at its most basic, to have friends, to be a friend. And Australians need friends. Australians are extraordinarily lonely. 25% of Australians live alone. Isn't that extraordinary? I, I, I'm a single man. I live alone. 25% of Australians live alone. Friendship for those folk is prized. And I think as well, men, if I might give you a poke, don't do quite as well with friendships. A staggering statistic that comes from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, describing those 
who are divorced or separated, that is 30% of Australians. Relationship separation tends to result in an increase in loneliness across ages and genders. 30% of Australians have experienced some kind of separation or divorce. They experience new kinds of loneliness, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, no matter your age. 25% of Australians live alone. 30% of Australians are divorced or separated. However, the report writes, the effects are more pronounced for men than for women. Recently separated men are over 13 times as likely to develop loneliness than married men, as opposed to twice as likely for separated women compared with married women. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to practice friendship as a missional posture for our world. If we can practice friendship here, we'll be a light on the hill. We'll show the world what heaven can be like. Christians need to invest in friendships too. Friends help us make sense of the world. Deep attachments are healthy. Your missional outlook in this city can be massively impacted by the way you cultivate your friendships. How are you doing? How are you going? May this be a spiritual health check for you. But I want to acknowledge that there are different kinds of friends. There are friends who share common circumstances. The, the friends that you meet when you're collecting the mail, when you're taking the dog for a walk, when you're in the supermarket, when you're at the school gate. People you see regularly in the playground or the coffee shop. We need those friends, those friends who are close. Not close emotionally, perhaps, but close in circumstances. We see them. As Proverbs 27.10 reads, Better is a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. We should value those who are nearby. God's put them in your path. They're a neighbour. They're a friend to you. During lockdown in Melbourne, we were laid out of the house an hour a day, right? And I'd walk along my local creek, the Mooney Valley Creek. It was so reassuring to see the same families with the same dogs, with the same kids, walking with me on the path at five o'clock each afternoon. Now, I don't know them, only to smile at, but they were friends to me at one level because we shared common circumstances. And it was good for me to feel part of my community, seeing these people regularly. They're not particularly close friends, but they are friends in as far as we share common 
circumstances. But we also need friends who share common commitments. Proverbs 26, 18 reads, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death, is the man who deceives his neighbour and says, I'm only joking. There are people around us who aren't serious, who aren't close, who aren't serious about developing a friendship. They just like joking around. Now, we need friends as well who share common commitments, a deeper kind of level of friendship, something beyond the superficial, the joking, something a little bit deeper and meaningful. They'd be your people in your home group, people here in church, people who live in your household, who are involved in your political association, in your book club, in your sporting club, in your gym, in your union. These aren't just random people you meet on the road. These are people you've kind of chosen because they've chosen a common commitment as well. We need that kind of people in our life as well, people who share with me a common interest, who give life some pattern, some predictability. It might not be that they're your besties, but we need them too, people who share with us a common commitment to an activity, to a passion and so on. But deeper still, we not just need friends who share common circumstances or friends who share common commitments. We need friends as well who share a common commitment to growing us as human beings and as Christians, who are concerned for my character, my soul, as I would be concerned for your character and your soul where we share together something lasting and noble, where we're prepared to sacrifice ourselves for them and they for us. Listen to this proverb from Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, but the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A friend who gives you advice, who speaks personally into your life. Or from Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who knows you who knows your soul, who can speak words which touch where you're tender. We need friends who share common circumstances. We need friends who share common commitments. And we need friends who share a common concern for our character, for our soul, for our growth as a believer. They might not be people I see every week. Most of my friends have dispersed and live 
outside of Melbourne or overseas. I might not see them every week, but when we do speak, when we do see each other, there's such a deep feeling of integration, of care, of respect, of vulnerability. A friend I see only once or twice a year, recently he and I went down to the Peninsula Hot Springs, not far from Melbourne, to spend a day soaking up hot water. It's a fantastic kind of venue for us. We can just sit down there and talk for eight hours and kind of move to the next, the next bathing pool. At the end of the day, he texted me and he said, he got home and spoke to his wife. She'd been that day at her own Bible study group and the wives in the group said to each other, how we wish our husband had friends like that. How blessed I felt to have a friend who, with whom I could share my soul concerns. With that kind of friend, every part of me feels more alive. With that kind of friend, I can celebrate a healthy attachment, a sign of well-being and a life that's flourishing. Once Aristotle was asked, what is a friend? And he said, it's one soul inhabiting two bodies. What an extraordinary expression. One soul inhabiting two bodies. Someone who you share such deep soul concerns. If God has made a world full of relationships with, to be enjoyed with him and with each other and with the earth, then cultivating, nurturing friendships is kind of what we were made for. In Mark chapter 10, Peter says to Jesus, I have left everything for you. Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. This is Jesus' response. It's extraordinary. In Mark 10, 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel. All those natural biological relationships. No one has left all these things who won't fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age. A hundred times as much in this age, not just speaking of heaven. He's saying to Peter, you might have left behind your your biological brother, your biological sister, your biological mother, your biological father, he says, but you will receive a hundredfold in this age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. Isn't that remarkable? He uses the same words, brothers, children, mothers, fathers. But now, of course, he's making those words apply to the church. You've left a whole lot, Peter, but look what you've got amongst the disciples. 
And of course, there'll be persecutions. That goes without saying, Jesus states. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Nuclear families are not the meaning of life. Being single is not a fate worse than death. Here, there are lots of nuclear families, but within your families, outside of your families, I hope that you're practicing friendships, growing your friendships, finding people who share your soul concerns. Now, I've benefited massively from families who've invited me into their own lives, letting me come to dinner and read the Bible to their kids before they go to bed, go on holidays with them. Those, for me, are pure gold. Those experiences I love. Nuclear families give the church so many gifts. But beyond the nuclear families, of course, we're wanting to develop friendships with the world around us as well. Listen to these words from Jesus in John chapter 15. John 15, reading from verse 12. My command is this, Jesus says, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus calls those who follow him his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Where are friends to Jesus? Because Jesus reveals to us the Father's will. And we can be friends to those around us, in our neighbourhoods, in our clubs, in our family circles, when we help them to understand the Father's will as well. This church, as it develops its friendships, can be a witness to the world. We develop friends in our circumstances. We develop friends who share common commitments. And we nurture friendships who share common delights, where we share our very lives, our soul, our hearts, our knowledge of the Lord. So if you want to grow in your friendship, can I give you these two tips? Ask questions. Ask questions of people. Be curious about their lives, their interests, their background, their passions, their griefs. And when they give their answers, shut up for a for a moment and listen to them and perhaps allow yourself to be surprised by what they didn't say or be surprised what they did. Be curious as the first tip in developing your friendships. 
and here to develop your friendships. Make sure you're gathering regularly with other Christians, whether it's here or in your online context. Church is not just for Christmas, but for life. It should be a regular commitment. We should be committing ourselves to each other. Some friendships won't last forever. But in the meantime, through those friendships, we put down deep roots and grow in our attachments. We grow as healthy human beings, as healthy Christians, for our world was built, was designed for us to enjoy relationships. Rearrange your schedule so that you build in space to develop friends. We all want community, but we try and take too many shortcuts in building it. The American author Emerson has this to say in an essay on friendship. The only way to have a friend is to be one. Or as Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Do you want to grow as a Christian? As a human being and as a Christian believer? Then one of the most basic strategies for growing is to grow your friendships. Enjoy the human being God has made you to be. Invest in the person who you have made a friend. And in growing in your friendships, you'll learn again that being human is to be relational. Let me pray. Grow us, we pray, this day, Heavenly Father, as Christians. Grow us, we pray, as friends within this, our Christian community and beyond, for the sake of Christ. Amen. This has been a podcast from St. Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.